Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight we will go back in time to seasons past, when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Greats Football, and it's memorabilia on the Gridiron Greats Publishing and Broadcasting Network, in conjunction with Swick Enterprise. And we're live from the Wally Freakin' home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at www.gridirongreatsmagazine.com. We're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website for one of the largest selections of vintage football cards and memorabilia on the web, cards.com. And we're also sponsored in part by BST Auctions. Check out their website for their upcoming auction at bstauctions.com. It is at this time I'd like to introduce my special guest co-host, who is a well-known Senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine. A football card, a memorabilia historian. He's co-owner of both MSB Sports Cards and BSD Auctions. I'd like to welcome a good friend of ours to Gridiron Greats Magazine, Mr. John Spano. John, welcome to the show this afternoon. How you doing, Bob? Thanks for having me today. Good, John. I'm good. Well, we're in the middle of football season. Even though it's early in the season, we've got Friday night games we got Saturday college games, and we got obviously the Sunday and Monday night and Thursday night NFL games. So we're getting in the swing of things. Football season is upon us, and today's show we're going to be talking a little bit about a few different things. I'd like to thank you for uh, coming on and filling in for Joe today. And I'd like to start off by talking a, a little bit about the past 2018 National Sports Collectors Convention in Cleveland. Uh, which we both attended, and we both uh, basically were there for the for the entire uh, month of the show. Uh, I talked a bit a bit about it in the last show with Joe about the uh, the um, dealers' materials, so on and so forth. And uh, I was still somewhat impressed with the sheer volume of kids on the floor that were walking around with parents. Uh, aunts, uncles, guardians, so on and so forth, grandparents. And I was also impressed with some of the uh, vintage material that was out there in, in the market for football collectors and the like. 
what were your thoughts, if anything, John, as far as the show was concerned and as far as the um, any type of pulse that you can give our listeners to the convention itself? felt that it was a, a great show for us personally. And, you know, after I, I spoke to a few fellow collectors and some other dealers, I get a little bit of a different vibe. Uh, we took in daily, we were taking in consignments. Uh, it was a brisk pace. I was, if anybody ever looked at me at, at any given moment, I typically was talking to somebody. I had somebody bringing something to the booth and we, we did very well there. Uh, I think the biggest concern, and it's not even really concern. I think it's just a, it's probably a swing in the market is that, you know, the material to buy, um, you know, to purchase at the show, not as readily available or not as available as some would like. You know, people spend an entire year in anticipation waiting to go to the National, you know, hoping to find, you know, those pieces or those rare pieces, one-of-a-kind items, or maybe even something on their checklist. And, you know, from what I, a lot of people I spoke to, those, those items just weren't, they weren't available. If they were, they were there and they were, you know, in an auction house booth ready for you know, their next auction on display. Um, and, and I understand, you know, that's just, just part of the market and, and how it works. Um, you know, the, the, the material is, is kind of cycling between collectors and auction houses now, right now. And, and, you know, we've had numerous discussions and, and some people like that. Some people enjoy being able to sit back, get their catalogs, have, you know, a number of auction houses operating right now, and, and it's almost like going to a show. But other people, you know, like that old-fashioned feel, and I, I'm, I'm there with them. Um, I recall going to shows, and I know, Bob, you've been going to the National a lot longer than I have, but I'm, I'm going on 20-plus years now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a nice feel to walk through an aisle and, and, and just kind of see some guy who may have, you know, been a lifelong collector and decided to buy a booth at the national and just had his, has his entire collection or a good part of his collection there for sale. You know, no real organization. You just kind of rub your hands together and, and lick your chops a little bit. And like, I am, I know I'm going to find something neat here. And, uh, I don't see those, those many types of booths anymore. Everything's pretty well organized. It's kind of, it's kind of sterile. And, uh, and I understand why some people would be a little dismayed with, with that, you know, the state of affairs and you know, as far as the shows go. But I think the attendance was great, and I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, see a lot of young people there uh, with their with their parents, and, you know, and it's kind of a learning experience for them. So, you know, that's, uh, that, I guess that was my take overall. It was a good show for us. It's an interesting word that you use as far as stale is concerned, and I think you, you hit the nail right on the head when, and I agree with you, it's so nice to have seen that, long-time collector who set up a booth and started selling off bits and pieces or, or his entire collection. And you see a lot of stuff you really haven't seen before. And, uh, you know, it's a nice interaction with the collector because he probably feels much more comfortable trying to sell to other collectors, you know, rather than trying to worrying about wholesaling it out to a dealer type of situation. So that was a really good point uh, you brought up. I vaguely remember and I don't know if you remember back in the 2014 Cleveland convention uh, that there was a, a fellow there who was a strict Cleveland Browns football card collector. And he basically had, I would say at least a hundred different binders of Cleveland Browns football cards there. I, I have never seen anything like it in my life. He, he literally had his entire collection there. And I briefly talked to the, to the fellow and he said he was, he was basically selling everything off. He was kind of disgusted with the team, but he was a lifelong collector. And I, and I, I saw stuff I, I had really never seen before. And it was, it was a great education looking at his, his booths and his stuff. And I did not see him here this past uh, convention, so I, I will assume he either sold most of his collection or he held it back and will sell it at a later time. But I, I do agree with you. Those are the types of uh, booths you like and, and enjoy um going through because you know you it, it, the mentality of a lot of collectors is i like to look at stuff i want to physically pick up a card or a program or a ticket stub i want to look at it then i'll buy it type of situation uh the the market today because of the internet and we can't deny the existence of it uh you know creates a much different feel for a show today and that's why i still enjoy going to shows even if they're local shows and even if i don't find anything at least there's you know, can actually look at stuff again, that type of situation. And I think, you know, both of us being pretty old school as far as the the, the market is concerned and, and the uh, collecting 
uh, hobby. Uh, it's it's a big transition to go from that to uh, a much more precise type of show and or precise type of internet purchase and or auction type of situation. So that, that that's an interesting observation on your part as, as far as what we're looking at from the from the 2018 convention. I did, uh, and I will agree with it. There was a ton of people there. Uh, there was a lot of people that came through the doors, the entire collection, uh, the entire uh, convention. Yeah, that was nice. It was nice being able to interact uh, with a lot of folks. And, and like you said, I was, I I showed up on Tuesday morning and uh, was cleaning up on Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was pretty much a steady stream. And uh, uh, Definitely a good local flavor, which you like to see when you do one of these nationals. Um, and, and definitely, um, as you mentioned earlier, too, uh, more young people than I've seen in a while. And, again, that's a good thing. Um, you know, we, we want that. You, you need that, um, especially, obviously, what, you know, what we specialize in. You know, we're, we're talking about you know, things that are approaching 100 years old, you know, professional items, uh, football items and college items and older than that. Uh, you you have to. It's not like you're going to be able to tap into a. a, a of the, oh yeah, I remember watching them play. It's more or less. Uh, yeah. you know, I need to pick yeah. up a book or even go on the internet and I need to read something and learn something and, and appreciate. You know what what that person or those people or that team or that coach or how they've influenced uh, the game today. You know, kind of do a timeline forward. And I think we have to maintain those connections. Uh, you know, with the history of the game, uh, with the collectibles, you know, tangible reminders, things that people can hold on to and say, oh, yeah, you know, this was a ticket from this game or this is a card from this player. You know, he has a shot at, you know, getting on the seniors ballot, that type of thing. I like having those kind of discussions with people because I know that they're interested, you know, and maybe they're looking to invest a little bit. But, you know, that's that's part of the hobby as well. And it's nothing that needs to be denied. Um, But at the same time, making those connections and maintaining those connections is so, so important. And, and having a younger group in there that is starting to, you know, show some interest and you know, pointing them in the right direction, I guess, and saying, Hey, this is a good book to read, or, you know, this is a good website to check out if you want to learn some more about that. Very true. Very true. And I, and I do agree with you that unless there's some education behind the item, it's meaningless to someone who's not from that era. And uh, I, I know for me in my, in my, you know, experiences collecting because I always liked history. I always liked the history of the game growing up. So I was very active in the sixties and seventies with the limited amount of books and magazines out there, you know, reading about the older game, uh, so on and so forth, fascinated completely with the all American football conference, uh, which my father vaguely remembered, um, after world war two and, and trying to talk to him about it, picking his mind for the minimal amount of information that he remembered about it. So it all, go, it all goes into play. And, and again, it can, it can work for the hobbies to bring on the new collectors so that this material gets handed down from generation to generation of collectors. And it is still preserved. It's not lost because too much of the history of the game has been lost over the years you know, again, I've talked about this a hundred times. If I talked about it once, how many programs exist from the 1920 season? How many uh, ticket stubs exist from a game in 1923? So on and so forth. They're minimal, minimal. So if you're owning one of them, you know, you're owning part of history. That's what it really comes down to. And the more we preserve it, the better off we'll be in the long run. So, yeah. that's, that's and there are some specialists. Yeah, there are there are some specialists in in that era of football that I uh, I've heard people refer to as like you know NFL to pre Grange you know, late in the nineteen twenty five season and I as I've handled a lot of material over the last ten years um, for every you know as, as rare as they may be an NFL program from nineteen twenty seven nineteen twenty eight nineteen thirty even you know late in the season twenty five for every uh, 10 of those, there might be one program or one ticket stub from before that era, that 1920 to 19, you know, pre before he signed right. the Bears. That, that era is just, and to grab a hold of something from that time period uh, is tough, difficult. Those are difficult items, and then they are as rare, if not rarer than any 19th century baseball item, uh, you know, similar type of item, a program or a, a ticket stub. Uh, they're they're extremely <laughs> difficult, and and again, 
again, it's just that connection that has to be made. And, you know, we've, we've discussed this and I know you and Joe have discussed it on the show before. It's just not quite the amount of appreciation for the history of the game that you see in baseball. And you right, know, that, that's right. something that, you know, you don't want to point fingers, but the NFL needs to do a little bit better job of promoting it. And if you go to Canton, I think they do a nice job, but outside of that, not much. So. Right. Right. Well, we always said too, though, we, I truly feel the NFL is looking at the history of the game from 1970 and above <clears throat> rather than the 1919-1969 era for a variety of reasons. But, again, those people who are collecting those early pieces have a very, very historical and rare collection. And, it, to me, it's just the beauty of the hobby to see people who collect that and, and to have interviewed those people and seen those collections over the years. And uh, it, it just it truly amazes me, to say the least. The, the the classic question that comes out comes out of the convention, and I, I always ask this, and I kind of try to try to surmise it in my own mind after a convention, after I've had time to digest everything that that's occurred. Do you do you see any trends that are occurring right now in the hobby? For example, is there something uh, more in demand than other items? Is there something that's cooled off in the market right now? What's your read, if anything? Because you're you're going to give me a different perspective than the way I I possibly might see the market and and uh, what's hot and basically what's not hot. I look at it two ways. Uh, first of all, when you look at item per item basis, I, I the graded cards are still. I mean that's that's where it's at. Now sometimes they'll fluctuate. You know it'll it'll be this one will be hot or this set will be hot, and you know. It'll cool off, and you know three or four more will come to market, and then that PSA nine rookie of, you know uh, Henry Jordan, you know, sixty three Henry Jordan will you know go mm-hmm. down and then mm-hmm. up, and it'll fluctuate. I just use that car as an example, but it, overall the graded sets. I mean, I as soon as I list one of those, as soon as I you know like started the preview for the auction last night, so many hits on those graded sets, and that's a good thing. I mean, people are if it that's generates interest and 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 people you know like to have their their collections that way um you know in, in psa or sgc or whatever holders um it, it does generate a fair amount of competition between collectors which i think they enjoy and there's nothing wrong with that um and and i'll be the first to admit that you know as much as i resisted the whole grading thing 20 25 years ago when it started up uh, i have i have a number of graded cards in my collection now I do, and uh, you know it's it's a good way to preserve them. And uh, you know there there's some things that can be discussed regarding the you know the you know, the, the grading system itself, but that's that's another mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I still think rare historic pieces, um, items that are depicting Hall of Fame players uh, that maybe don't have any mainstream items. Um, you know, rare things before World War II. For us, those things are always gold. You know, they, they come in and uh, I list them and, and typically mm-hmm. do, do very well. One thing that I, I still a little disappointed, I know you and I, we've probably talked about this on previous shows, you know, paper ephemera. I, I think that those items really need to, if people can sit back and say, okay, I can't put this in a slab, you know, I can't put a program in a slab, uh, but I can really enjoy this. I can really learn something. I mean, they, they had editorials in those those early programs, you know, about the game and where it was going or previous week's games. It's just a wealth of knowledge. And uh, mm-hmm. somebody's patient enough to sit down and, and collect those or maybe put a run together of their alma mater or, you know, maybe a, finding a player when he was in college before he got to the pros. There's just so many, so many ways to collect that material. And I think that some of that is starting to pick up a little bit. I don't know if you remember in our last auction I had uh, – a periodical from the Great Lakes Naval Station when Patty Driscoll right. and George Hallis were there. I I was right. shocked. I was absolutely shocked. I, I I put them down. I listed them. They just they went crazy. I, I forget how yep. many different bids yep. the, the group had on them. And you know I had seen them before. I'd seen single examples. I don't remember them for selling for that much, but you know there were a number of people interested in those items. That made me feel like, yeah, this is good. This is a good thing because this is what has to happen. You know, there's a mm-hmm. program from a you know, NFL championship game, you know, those type of things. Those, those typically do fine. It's just some of the other stuff from the 20s and 30s, late 20s, 30s, up until World War II programs, even the programs from the 40s and 50, 50s, Bob. You know, that, that cover artwork in itself is, I mean, those are just right. playable pieces, you know, and, and they're just really nice looking. And hopefully those will, you know, those will take off. They've been kind of stale for the last five years or so. You know, I just, I'd like right. to see that, that 
area of the market though. But uh, you know, game use stuff uh, always big. Um, signed items, uh, people, a lot of autograph collectors for both pro football hall of famers and college football hall of famers. Uh, you know, especially on significant pieces. You know, not just you know maybe on a jersey or on a ball or something like that. Those those items are doing well too. Just about everything's doing well. I mean, it, it can't really go wrong at this point with vintage. Um, like I said, the only thing I, I think is lagging a little bit are the you know the programs and maybe some of the periodicals that I know you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's touch upon that uh, briefly. I'll, I'll give you one experience I had several years. ago. It was probably about three or four years ago. There's a show here in Hartford, Connecticut called Paper Mania, which is a large paper show, and it's 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 a pretty interesting show based upon the fact that you have a lot of different uh, dealers there, but. I saw I was only myself and another fellow who had sports items, and I did touch upon a few of the collectors there who I really never I never knew, and I ended up becoming friendly with them. And one gentleman collects all only uh, sports programs from all the different sports, including football, from the 1930 to the 1939 era, which I thought was a pretty unique collectible. And he said, you know, to me they're very rare. He said um, they're not as rare as 29 and back, not as rare as 40 up, but he says it's just a really nice area to get into and to try to collect. And um, he was telling me a few of the few of the pieces he had in his collection. And he said, I uh, he told me, and this was a few years ago, that he felt that entire market was just completely uh, unlooked at by collectors. And I have a feeling to a certain degree that that's very true. You know what I mean? I do agree with you that it is—it's an underappreciated part of the um, of the hobby. The other area, periodicals of the time, for example, Football uh, Illustrated, Football Annual, um, a couple other the magazines of those uh, those years, 1940s, starting Street and Smith. Uh, I brought uh, some extra Street and Smiths I had from the 1940s at that show. They sold within like an hour. I mean, they just flew out of there. And I, I was just shocked. And uh, the fellow who bought them said, I, you know, I love this stuff. I, I, I collect all, as many football annuals and publications like that as I, as I can find. So transfer that um, enthusiasm, for lack of a better term, to a national convention. I don't see the enthusiasm to a certain degree at a national than I would do at a local paper show. You know what I mean? And I, I find that really... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. And uh, even though there were some great older football programs and older annuals at the National, I just didn't see anybody, you know, breaking down the table to try to buy a type of situation. So uh, it's a very valid point that you bring up. It's under an underappreciated part of the market. And at the same time, I think as more education occurs on it, it will um, it will start to pick up more and more. I know I did an article on uh, Street and Smith annuals for Gridiron Greeks uh, when Frank had the magazine, and uh, that was a well-received article because a lot of people really would like, you know, wanted to know: is it a doable run? And to me, it's very—it's still to this day very doable. Um, you know, and you have a nice piece of history there, and you, and you, you basically have a lot of, of uh, historical reference tools you can you can use and, and refer to. For the game, and it also helps you educate yourself on on different pieces of the time too. If you come across it, uniforms, helmets, whatever the case may be. So uh, it, it's a, it's a very valid point as far as what you're saying with the um, with the publications and paper, uh, to say the least. One one area that I did find interesting at the show, and to tie into what you're saying, um, photos of you know real photos from that time period, game issued photos and or a UPI um, press photo or team-issued photos from the 30s and 40s and 50s seem to be very collectible and seem to be very much in demand. Um, do you, did you see that, too? or have you? I'm sure you've seen it in the past with some of the stuff you've had uh, in the I, auctions. And I, for sure. Um, it, it, that's something that I think is going to, and you talk about a finite market, um, this is nothing that you, you can recreate. This is nothing that a, a company is going to come out and produce something similar to. You know, these right. are file photos that were used by the newspapers and the magazines, and they were kept sometimes for 60, 70, 80 years. 
uh, reused and you know just just kept as, as stock photos. And back when I first started putting my Hall of Fame collection together back in the '90s, when they would pop up, right, see them on uh, even at the shows, they were they were selling for a crazy amount of money, a lot more than today. I'm not saying the market's not good again for them, but when all the newspapers started going out of business and the newspapers started mm-hmm. consolidating their, their files and, and, and saying, you know, we, we need to go digital. We're just going to get rid of these huge rooms full of you know, old pictures. And there were certain people who bought those out and, you know, they went to market and that, that market crashed. I mean, almost overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact year, but I remember, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, some of the stuff that I, the amount of money that I paid for them back in the early 2000s, I've seen similar items come up for sale. I'm like, oh man, it makes you a little sick. Mm-hmm. But they seem to be, they mm-hmm. seem to be rebounding because I think people are realizing it is a finite market. Um, you know, there's only so many pictures of Arnie Herbert out there. There's only so many, you know, Grange pictures. Although there may be more Grange pictures than Arnie Herbert pictures. Um, mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the reason I bring up Arnie Herbert is because you know I, when I finally got my matchbook cover of him when I was doing my Hall of Fame collection, I I had a placeholder in my collection that was a a wire photo of his that I think from '36 or '37 that I, I paid a lot of money for, and uh, right, I've right. seen some similar ones come out recently, um, you know, from some of the newspaper collections at a fraction of that cost. But I do believe that that market is going to to grab hold again. And, you know, when people start appreciating what these items are, a lot of, most of them are one of a kind pieces. You know, if there was only a single right. negative made and, and, and only one picture struck from that, then that negative is probably long gone. Um, that's it. So, I mean, you're, you're basically looking at one-on-ones and people are paying tens of thousands of dollars for, for modern cards right. that are, you know, produced one-on-ones and you've got a, a legitimate one-on-one of a hall of famer that's 70, 80, 90 years old. So, yeah, or, I think that market or, or, is one that's gonna it's gonna maybe maybe in a plateau right now, but definitely is gonna climb again. I hope. I think it would be. You know, I think it's a good thing for people to get into. Well, I think I think it will rebound because I think as as the collector becomes more advanced and as the collector decides that they want to enter a different area, whatever that may be, team photos, game game used or game photos per se, or the individual player photos the demand will go go way up for it again. The other thing you mentioned was matchbooks, and I still, to me, they're red hot. I mean, there is a lot of demand for matchbook, uh, matchbooks of, um, you know, the 30s. Uh, there's demand I'm seeing from matchbooks from the 50s and 60s. Some of those early AFL teams issued their own uh, sets of match or had um, businesses issue matchbooks for them. Uh, I see those in demand, too. Um, again, I, I think that's a golden area of collecting that's still very much un, untouched to a large degree, even though a lot of mainstream collectors, uh, vintage collectors started getting into them. I still think there's a lot out in the market and, and there's a lot to collect there. And there's a good variety of collecting, um, you know, a player or team, so on and so forth. Uh, a lot of opportunity for growth, in my opinion, in those areas, especially for the better uh, matchbooks, including the ones with the um, the full strikers and the like, for sure. And I uh, I have some collectors uh, that have used MSB for the last six or seven years. Uh, they put a trickle set together. There's a few guys that are doing this, and now they want to match with matchbooks. And I forget. I, I've actually had one collector tell me, and I can't remember the number, and I wish I could. I think 30 or 31 of the players in the trickle set have diamond matchbooks. Maybe it's even harder than that. It's not the full set. There's a couple guys missing, and a lot of collectors are like, okay, I want It's almost like a companion piece to their chickle set. Um, They have the match cover as well, which is kind of neat when you think about it. Um, uh, I'll have to figure out that number. I can't remember exactly what it is. I have to cross-reference and look at the set. But uh, it's a a decent amount that you can do that. I have some other collectors who are putting together – you know, autographs from the, the chickle set. Not autographs mm-hmm. on the chickles. Those do exist, but, uh, you know, finding autographs from all the players that were in that set, which is kind of neat, too. So, you know, there's, there's a number of different ways to, to make it interesting because one of the big complaints, as you know, that you'll hear, well, you know, they, there weren't all these sets issued. You have to do this and do that. I'm like, yeah, but that makes it more fun. You know, yeah, there weren't 14 sets a year, you know, from 1909 until 19, you know, World War II. Um, right, there's right, enough football right. material out there to collect. There's plenty of material to collect, and you get just about any player you want, um, depending on what you, you know, how you want to collect them. So it just right, depends on the right. person and what they're willing to do. At another overlooked paper area to me is signed personal checks 
by the former players. I mean, uh, I know I have several in my collection from the 50s and 60s, which are, you know, to me not overly rare, but still, how many of them actually existed over the years? And if you find stuff from the 30s and 40s or a signed contract or a signed, um, you know, promotional agreement or whatever, that's a pretty rare piece of football history there as far as I'm concerned. Oh, There's something for that, sure. It's, uh, it's to me, uh, something that – go ahead, go ahead. Uh, no, that's okay. If, if you can find one too uh, that's that's made out to somebody else significant, you know, you find a a player who's. I'm trying to think of an example when we had the auction. I think it was uh, Burt Bell to Carl Stork. Carl Stork, who probably should be in the Hall of Fame because he's pretty much Joe Carr's right hand man for almost 20 years. Um, right. And I think it was Burt Bell to, to Carl Stork, or vice versa, or something like that. I'm like that's, that's a pretty significant piece there. And you've got two two big wigs in the early NFL, so. Right, right. So that's a that's another area of opportunity, in my opinion, as far as collecting is concerned. And I do know several people who who just collect players' autographs, and they and they probably have sixty, seventy percent of their collection as uh, personal checks, which is pretty cool, to say the least. All right, you got a uh, really big auction coming up over the next few weeks, and I'd like to spend the bulk of the rest of the time that we have, uh, as uh, the show permits with a uh, fall auction that you've come up with. And it's uh, I, I looked at it this morning, and my mouth drops for a few of the items here. So um, I'm bringing it up on, online as far as your preview is concerned. Give us a few of the, first, the logistical specifics. When does it open and when does it close? It's going to open next Friday. Um, it will open next Friday. And that'll be the 28th. I haven't decided exactly what time. I have it slated for sometime earlier in the evening. And I typically get in there and I get a little antsy, and I'll, you know, I'll send out some <laughs> some, uh, some text messages and say I'm going to open this a few minutes early. But you know, sometime you know, east 7:30 Eastern, probably next Friday, the 28th. And then we go until uh, the 21st of October, which is a Sunday, and we're going to go back to our same format we've used for the last uh, couple of auctions which is to close the auction at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we're going to do extended bidding for about six, seven hours. And that's worked out pretty well. And we'll we'll stop the auction sometime between 11.30 and midnight on -hmm. on that night on the 21st of October. It's worked out well for the last two auctions. It really has. Uh, It's been... uh, you know, as opposed to you know trying to navigate the the two thirty three o'clock four o'clock in the morning waters and having questions asked at why there's you know multiple bids being placed mm-hmm. at four o'clock in the morning and usually because somebody's mm-hmm. up at four o'clock in the morning bidding but um, you know it's it's much easier this way and it gives people that extra day at least you know it seems an extra day to do things so it's uh, and that's what we're going to end it on the twenty first. Well, that's a, that's very logical to me that you you know that auction houses should go to that in my opinion because it just really makes a heck of a lot more sense because I don't think a lot of people want to especially if you're on the east coast you want to stay up to four o'clock in the morning then you're going to get up in an hour and go to work type of thing I mean it's it's illogical to me to say the least so uh, in looking at the at the auction there's two complete clear football sets I'd like for you to touch upon first um, they're, they're incredible. Incredible sets. I mean, the quality of the cards are truly amazing. So um, can you give us some background on those two sets first? Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. When uh, the consigner, uh, we made an agreement at the National this year that that he was going to consign these two sets to us. He said he felt like he was sending his sons sons off to war. You know, these these are sets that are near and dear to his heart that he's been putting together for a long time. Uh, the mm-hmm. 62 set, I believe, I, I, I might have these mixed up in my head. I'm looking at the, the auction sheet in front of me, but I don't remember the details. Mm-hmm. One of the sets has been all-time finest for, for almost 17 years. Uh, the other mm-hmm. one since 2012, I don't know which one's which, but just unbelievable care in putting this set together. And, and you know, that it's you, you think about, you know, what's the difference between a PSA 7 and a PSA 8 a PSA 9? I'll... I'll say specifically and you know a lot of people say i can't tell the difference between an eight and a nine you know you guys are crazy these are all definitely mm-hmm. nines i mean there's nines and tens in both of these these sets and when mm-hmm. you look at them you understand because this this collector went through multiple nines to get what he truly felt was a nine 
So, you know, he'd look mm-hmm. at it, make sure it was perfect. The cards are ridiculous. I mean, they're ridiculously uh, – use a maybe a, a term that's a little bit out of bounds for football, but they're beautiful. They really are. They, they really are incredibly uh, just pack fresh. Um, and, you know, the, the, the numbers on these sets as far as, you know, uh, you know, their average overall, you know, nine point this and nine point that. So, I mean, they, mm-hmm. these are sets that I know people have been watching for a long time because they're, they've been on the registry. There's a million comments on the registry about these sets. And I'm assuming there's at mm-hmm. least a, a dozen or more collectors that are, you know, waiting to, to take a shot at these. Uh, that's right. unbelievable cards. The, uh, so. The, the 62 flare set is the one since 2002 that's been number one, and the 63 okay. flare set is, uh, is the other one. And the 63 uh, flare set, I looked at the checklist, which uh, beautiful, probably, probably the nicest checklist I've ever seen over the years uh, for that set. And that's a real tough ch- checklist to try to find one way or the other. Um, especially that. This one's not, yeah. This one is not yeah, off truly, center. They're always they always seem to be off center. Yep, yep, and that one that one is spot on to say the least. Um, well, I would I'd, I'd like to get right into what I what is the cornerstone of, in my opinion, of this auction is this 1894 Mayo set, and let's talk about that. It's 34 out of 35 cards, minus the uh, the uh, Dun, the uh, Dunlop. Give us some background on that. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's just some incredible cards there with grades that are just uh, unbelievable. Well, first of all, just you know, for anyone who will be bidding on this, this lot, um, we, at the request of the consigner, and this would have been what we would have done with it as well, but that he um, to auction it in two ways. We're going to auction it as a complete set, and we're going to auction it as mm-hmm. individual cards. Now, how that works when the auction's over whatever the aggregate is for the individual cards, if that number is higher than whatever the final price was for the complete set, then the cards will go to individual collectors. If the final price okay. for the complete set is higher than the individual cards, it will go that way. So there will okay. be people that have a chance to, to bid on this a number of ways, and it's, I think that will do best for the set and best for the collectors too, hopefully. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, again, you know, I, 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 using hyperbole, uh, try to stay away from that as much as possible, but you mentioned jaw dropping. We had this. I had the set. We had the set at the corner uh, of our booth for the entire length of the national. Right, right, and right, I, right. I probably had, if, if I could have done a ticker for every time somebody stopped and looked and just commented, I, hundreds of people literally would stop mm-hmm. and look at this. Some people mm-hmm. had no idea what it was, but they're like, "Those cards? How old are they?" They couldn't even believe it. Right, the condition right. that they're in. Um, right. You are, and you know, anybody's familiar with the set, it was Black Borders chip, and I'm sure they came chipped, you know, when they were in the, the tobacco tins, uh, you know, mm-hmm. 124 years ago. Um, and they, they're, a lot of these cards are almost perfect. I mean, they, they literally are. You have a number of eights in here. Uh, in fact, he mm-hmm. has all, all the eights uh, that, are, uh, that are graded to this point, and most of the sevens as well. Um, trying to think here off the top of my head at 23 I believe out of the 34 cards that are offered are the highest graded uh, with right, no higher right. so there's no equals right. and it's just this is an, an instant for somebody who collects this and, and again I don't want to you, know, you, you try to stay away from the money as much as you can but this is an investment that I, I, I can't even imagine there's anything like it in, the, in our hobby as far as football goes Right. Um, right. Because right. The, the, you're not going to do this. Nobody's going to do this. You're going to be able to put a group like this together. That's possible. Mm-hmm. You've handled these cards, Bob. You know, I've talked to other dealers uh, who have mm-hmm. handled these mm-hmm. cards since the '70s. And for the most part, when you get get a hold of one of these, you know, when you put it in a slab nowadays, you're going to get a one or a two. That's pretty much the rule. You know, maybe if you're lucky, right. you get a three. Uh, rarely right. a four. Right. There's seven eights in this group. The 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 GPA is over six for the entire group. So you have right. some phenomenal cards that we tried to deduce the history, you know, going back through not only our consigner and what he did to put this together, but, you know, before that, where these cards came through, talked to a number of longtime collectors and there's a little mystery uh, in, involved with the whole set. You know, where, did it come from this area? Did these four cards from this group? But regardless, mm-hmm. over the last 
30 or 40 years as this, this set was put together. Uh, the person who originally started it was did so with care and wanted to find the best examples that he could find because they're they're mm-hmm. just out of this world. The Poe mm-hmm. Seven, it's the highest one graded. Obviously, that that's going to be the centerpiece of this without the Dunlop. Uh, just a, a magnificent card, it really is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's truly. It was mind-boggling to see him at the show, and it's even more mind-boggling for me to look at him in the in the auction. And uh, to me, the sky's the limit on those cards because it's—I uh, do agree with you—it's it's pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, especially for longtime collectors to actually pick up those cards in that kind of condition. And I don't have a good feel on whether it'll sell as a complete lot. My my real gut feeling is there's going to be a lot of serious bidding for each card, and I think that's what's going to probably end up happening, that it's going to sell as uh, individual cards rather than as the complete set. Although I could be completely wrong at the same time. You know what I mean? You could, could never being, know. And yeah. You, you, you never could, know, and you, you hope it's just going to – one's going to drive the other, and – and again, people are going to come out of it happy. I mean, that's just the best thing, you know. And as you said, the probably the best scenario would be to to you know have some you know individuals get a couple cards each or a card each and say, oh wow, you know, I've got the best of the best. Nobody's ever going to have a better right, one. Right. But if somebody decides that they want us to say, you know, I want all these, then if there's a couple three people that are willing to do that, then it's going to go that direction. So I know that's not an right. answer, but it's it's going to be no, fun to watch it's, regardless. It's, I'm looking forward yeah, to it. It's, it's very logical that that could happen. I mean, three, four guys get together and say, listen, you take this, you take that. Um, you know, I've done that in the past for different different cards that I was looking for. Uh, I told uh, fellow collectors who I knew were bidding on, I said, hey, could you sell me these two if you win it? And I said, sure, type of thing. And uh, that's actually how I, <laughs> how I uh, finished up my uh, 48 Bowman set. And uh, it was it was, was kind of interesting doing it that way. But I got the last couple short prints that I needed, and I, I finally finished that set. There's another piece in this uh, auction which I personally have heard about and I never saw before until you actually have it in the in the auction, and I'm I'm floored to actually see it in um, uh, online here. And that's the 1903 Mogul Cigarettes Princeton football team pack insert. And can you explain that to our listeners? And I highly recommend anybody who um, is following to get, get online to BST Auctions and actually look at this, um, this auction because it's, it's some really incredible historical pieces as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's Lot 52 for anybody who's looking as they're listening. Uh, lot 52 in the auction. Pick this up at the National as well. Um, it's basically, when you look at it and you fold it out, it's, it's almost four feet long. Uh, each of the individual panels kind of looks like its own card. So you can see that somebody at that time, if they would have wanted to, could have just you know, torn it down and broken it into a set like that. But this piece is intact. Uh, it's a three-dimensional piece too, which I found interesting when I looked at it because it's, you know, it was in a top loader, folded over a few times. But there's a mogul piece on the right-hand side of the front piece that I put the first image that's scanned in the auction that you could see. That's actually the side mm-hmm. piece of the cigarette pack. So that'll fold over okay. the side. It's probably probably about a half inch wide, um, and so that obviously was you know would sit inside the sleeve, whatever you know, it was cardboard box or whatever. I've never seen a mogul pack before. But uh, it, it's, it's incredible. You've got uh, probably 17, 18 players on there. You've got a couple college Hall of Famers. And it is the – I'd never seen one before. I don't know, Bob, have you seen this before? Before you, before I, I have never, auction, I've or? never seen it. I've heard, I've heard about it uh, locally where I had a couple of dealers locally ask me about it. And, and realistically, it was probably like 10, 15 years ago. And I tried doing some research on it, and I really couldn't come up with anything. So I, I was just shocked when I saw it here that, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the same exact thing that they were talking about and how they had a customer, uh, an older collector, was looking for him. He was a big Princeton collector, and he had heard about him, and then he said, uh, you know, I'm looking for one. And so they called me up right away, 
And I said, gosh, I never heard of it. I'll, let me try to research it and see what I can find. I never saw it until today, until today actually. So truly amazing piece, to say the least. Uh, that, it's, to me, it's, is, it's one that I looked at and rare. stared at. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, this. obviously there's more of them out there uh, since you've talked to other people about them, but I did a, a, a decent amount of research on this, and I couldn't find anything at all mm-hmm. about it. So, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's noteworthy because, again, we talk about the, the rarity of tobacco pieces, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the football hobby. You know, there's very few, you know, outside of your you know, your mayos and, and a couple other things uh, that were multi-sport issues. But as far as a pure tobacco piece, and this this was this formed the the backbone of a cigarette pack. You know, this was it was a right. holdover. It's, right. They're uh, I believe they're about the panels themselves are about three and a half inches. The, the whole thing is three and a half inches tall. So it's almost standard size okay. football card. And each of the individual panels is two inches wide. So it's a little bit narrower, but those would fold up mm-hmm. and, and form the, the back backbone of a, a cigarette pack. And if you've ever seen a cigarette pack from that era, they're a little smaller than you know, what right. you expect, right. what you'd see today. So this would, this right. was part right. of a, a cigarette pack and, and just wonder if it was a special issue or, you know, sold only you know around Princeton campus or something like that, or given out as some type of uh, you know kind of like a cigar or something like that, because you would think there right. were more of them around. But. Right, right. That that was, that was just that just blew me away this morning when I was looking at it. I said, "Holy mackerel!" I just I was shocked. I was truly shocked to actually see it. And um, the other uh, truly rare piece that I I feel at least is rare in my mind, because I really haven't seen a lot of them, and I'm, I'm trying to get to it right now. There, you got a bunch of cabinet photos that you're listed in different lots. Uh, give us a little background on those. Uh, those are those are pretty interesting. And I'm, I'm trying to get into another screen here to, to find the one I was uh, looking at. Oh, uh, the cabinet the, photos. Uh, the the um, 19, 1907 Wolverines... Um, near set with um, the Schultz in it, the postcard, which I uh, honestly, I've seen probably one or two of those over the years. I've never seen 14 out of 15 of those. Uh, that's an incredible yeah, the, piece. The, the Dietschy set, you know, the 1907 Dietschy set. Yeah, um, yeah. It's very similar to, in fact, same manufacturer who did the uh, 1907 uh, Detroit Tiger set with the uh, Ty Cobb. Right, in it. right. So they, they, right. it's the exact same type of manufacturing process, the black backgrounds, and the, you know, the player portraits, not portraits, but uh, full players, uh, pictures, uh, very rare. Uh, they, and again, you have Germany Schultz in there. Uh, we are missing the Yost, which most people consider kind of a, the key card in that group. They do come up every now and again, but this is a whole graded group. And uh, again, a tremendous opportunity for somebody who would, uh, you want to get a, a bunch of these at one time. It's just a, it's a right, nice looking group right. of cards. They're, most of them are, are mid grade, lower to mid grade, but you know nothing abused. That's for sure. You know, whoever again put this right. group together wanted ones that were in, in decent shape. So, right, right. And you got some incredible matchbooks in there too. I, I, I'm looking at those now. That's some uh, amazing matchbooks as far as the um, you got the Nagurski, you got the the Hubbard, you got the Hinkle. Uh, in the 33 uh, Silver Series, it's, it's, it's some amazing pieces there, and you got the Ray uh, uh, Flaherty one. Yeah, yeah, that, that Nagurski, as you know, um, I've been tracking these matchbooks since the late 90s, and right, right. I honestly have only seen in that time this one included, I think, four Nagurskis. And mm-hmm. this is this one is is cut. It's trimmed. Uh, everything's there. His picture in the description, but it's bobtail been removed. Um, but it's it's as rare as as just about any of the thirty fours. Now there's some thirty fours that are only known by single or two examples. Like I said, this Nagurski mm-hmm. might be hard pressed, and if I talk to some other collectors of matchbooks, seen more than five or six of them yeah, in the last right, twenty right. years. And obviously that's Nagurski. Yeah, so that that's what makes it a little more, you know. Uh, sweet to grab one of those, especially if you've never seen one or have one in your collection. Uh, right. You know, it's right. a tough card. Tough, tough short print from the 33 group. Right. And um, going forward year-wise, in a league that seems to always be neglected, you've got a f- complete 56 uh, Parkhurst CFL set, um, all, all 50 cards. And then for those people who don't realize, 
CFL collectors, uh, this set has the Bud Grant uh, quote-unquote rookie card in it, and uh, th- that's a beautiful set of cards, all 50. Uh, I've, I, I get I haven't seen I haven't seen a complete set of these I don't know how many years, and they haven't been developed either. So uh, it's 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 an amazing uh, set. Give us some background on that if you can. And that walked up to the national this year as well, and uh, the consigner basically didn't know much about him. He's a baseball collector. They came in a group. He's like they, okay. they came with all these little white white sheets of paper, these funny little white sheets of paper. They felt kind of like fabric, but they were kind of crumbling in my fingers as I was touching them. And I'm like, well, he he had developed two of them, and as you mentioned, they're undeveloped. Yeah, uh, they're photos. Yeah. they're photos. And I, I'm assuming on these little white sheets of paper they had with them, there's some type of silver nitrate or something like that. And the person who got them, when you buy them in a pack, I believe I did a little research. They came in a pack of five with a developing yeah. sheet, and you scratch scratch the surface. And the pictures were developed, uh, kind of similar yep. to what the Forty Eight Magic. But those you put in water, right, water right. and sunlight, or just right. sunlight. Yeah, these these you just these you had these little pieces of paper and you rubbed across. And he was interested to see because he knew he had something significant. So he actually rubbed two of the cards to see if it still worked, and they did. They came out real nicely. So that's mm-hmm. going to be the uh, the buyer's decision what they want to do with them. Uh, they're, they're a nice group of cards. You don't see them. I think the highest one I saw in the registry was a six, and I think there was only one six. Most of them are typically twos and threes. These are all nice right. mid grade. You know, there's a couple that have a few creases in them. Uh, not promising anything, you know, off the charts as far as you know numbers go, but it's it's a solid group of cards, uh, mm-hmm. and they were undeveloped. They've they've sat for the mm-hmm. last. I guess 62 years without you know without being developed, and, and there's 38 or 39 sheets of developing paper that come with the group. So that again will be a temptation for the the high bidder on that one to see what they want to do with them. If they want to develop them or not, yeah. or just leave them as is. So yeah, I uh, I have nice I have, nice group. Right, I have I have one type card of the 56 Parker, and that's a and, uh, man oh man, those are tough to find, to say the least. And you also have a um, partial set of the Bell Brands Rams from 1960, which is, again, a, a brutal set to try to put together and to find in any condition. And that, that looks really nice, too. It's it's a gorgeous set, and I was kind of disappointed. Uh, I sent a few of them in. They, they came in raw on consignment, and they, they were gorgeous. I mean, again, there's a couple in yeah. there that have yeah. a few ding corners, but there's no chipping, and that yellow those yellow ink, you know, chips really easily. Just really nice. Centering's real good. I sent a few in, and I got some sixes and sevens. I was expecting to get a little bit higher, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only only hope when you do that. But there, if if this is you know, a good, I don't even want to say a good start. You're almost finished, but it is missing the one crazy, insane short print. And then the other card's one of the higher numbers, which I guess are a little more difficult right. than the lower right. numbers. But I've seen them before. Uh, they're available, so you know. Again, collector have an instant instant grouping of these things, and they're they're tough individually, just to find them. You know, there there's a few here and there on eBay, and and that's it. But again, a, almost an entire group, thirty seven out of thirty nine. So, yeah, it's 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 uh it's that's a really tough set to put together. I know I got a handful of those. I've actually sold several over the years to collectors who have been trying to put the set together and. I, I said to myself, this is not going to be a set I'm going to put together anytime soon, so I'd rather see them complete their sets. You've got some beautiful 35 to 37 Wheaties uh, uh, cards and a couple of boxes in the in the, in the the auction also. Yeah, we had a, a near set, a near grouping, because you can't really call them sets because there's multiple sets within the grouping, but as you said, 35 to 37. So I just want to make that – I've had a few people ask me already, like, well, that's a complete set. I'm like, well, there are a bunch of sets, but a lot of times they're offered. There's 50 of them that were offered over those years, and they're all 50 right. are available there. And you've got the Wayne Milner, which is one of the tougher ones. You've got the Arnie Herber and the Nagurski and the 37 group, uh, and they're nice. They're they're really nice grouping. We had a we 46 out of 50, I think, in the last auction and did really, really well. I and mean, it had a lot of activity yeah. and a lot of bidders after it, so – um, hoping for the same type of action on this one, this group. Um, just a nice, nice set of, of. Again, you know, we talk about things. You know, there's nothing to collect about, you know, early football players. You got, you know, 50, 50 really significant names here. You know, they, they didn't just get selected to get slapped on the back of a Wheaties box for for no reason. So you've got some pretty high level players, professional income. Right. Right. And you also have that uh, R three eleven 
two complete set of 17 with Rick Grange from the 35 Chickles set that inserts it. And wow, I haven't seen a complete set of those in years. That's another beautiful set you got got offered here too. It it is, and you've got the Bach in there, which I think we've probably talked about before. At least you know we I don't know if we talked about it on the show that that card ten years ago there were people questioning the I mean high level collectors questioning the existence existence of that card if it, you know, if it was even out there. And there's been been a few of them that have emerged since then. But yeah, that's a a great yeah. opportunity again for a collector who wants to add something nice to their their chickle set if they have a chickle right. set they're working on too. Those are beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful set. You also have a '64 Taps football file copy set with the one in uh, the unissued one set wax box. And uh, as we're running out of time here, uh, give us a, a little uh, talk about that to to explain that. I never saw, I haven't seen one of these, and I, I can't even remember one uh, quite a while. Uh, these the tops, I guess, just probably for reference, you know, every year put together a file set where right. you know, they put it in a little, right. like a scrapbook format almost, where they, they had all the cards from the set, all the wax wrappers they planned on issuing, all the wax boxes, which were unassembled but folded, and just most of them are, you know, some adhesive to hold them in place. And there's a one-set box in there that uh, was not issued. I think, you know, according to Consigner, did a lot of research on it. That was the year they started phasing out the, the one-cent. And so they, right, right. Uh, I think he said they sold some of them in rack packs or as racks, but they didn't issue the boxes, uh, the one right, set right. packs that year. And this box was never issued. Um, and yeah, I'd done a lot of research. Right. And if somebody comes up and says to me in the next three weeks, Hey, I have an example of that box and I'll obviously edit a lot. But at this point I've yeah. done enough research to think this is the only example of that. And if you're putting together a run of wax boxes and you want one that, Nobody else is going to have. Uh, this would be the option. Right. That's, 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 that. so. <laughs> that's exactly right. I saw the uh, 1960 Taps uh, similar type of file for the cards, the wrappers, and the box. I always thought that was the coolest thing. And um, this is now the second one I've actually seen uh, for sale. So it's, it's, it's a pretty unique uh, unique item, uh, especially if you're a 1960s collector or a Taps collector. So on and so forth. It's just, it's just truly amazing. So well, we're almost out of time. Uh, we're almost out of time. I got like two minutes left. Again, we're sponsored in part by MSB Sports Cards. Check out their website, msbsportscards.com, and also by BST Auctions for this incredible auction coming up. Check out their website with the auction preview, bstauctions.com. John, any final thoughts, ideas, uh, anything? Anything else you want to go over real quick? Uh, I, I wish you well on this auction. This is truly amazing. I know I got a couple couple items I'm going to make a uh, uh, a couple bids on, but it's just it's truly amazing to see. Uh, this is football history at its best, in my opinion. Yeah, th- thanks for having me, Bob. That's really the only thoughts I have, and 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 have fun. You know, everybody enjoy this and uh, see it as an opportunity to kind of. You know, grab a piece of history and, and and enjoy yourself doing it. So always always keep it yeah. fun. That's the most important thing. That's very true, John. Thank you for filling in for Joe this uh, today. Joe will be back next week. We're gonna we're scheduling a few shows over the next uh, couple of weeks, and we'll be back on track as far as our podcast is concerned. Thanks to John Spana, senior contributor writing Great Iron Greats magazine, a true football and memorabilia historian. Uh, and someone whose invaluable knowledge uh, to me has done a lot of great things for our hobby over the past 15 years. I truly appreciate everything you do uh, for the hobby. Have a good day. Okay. All right. Thank you, John. John Spano again, uh, our special guest co-host. I was glad to have him on and could talk about the, um, the auction Again, we'll be on next week. If you're not a subscriber to Gridiron Greats Magazine, now's the time. GridironGreatsMagazine.com. Go on, on online and you can subscribe. Special four issues for $29.95. Uh, we also have all our back issues available for sale from issue 23 when we took over the magazine to our last issue, number 61. Issue 62 will be out over the next month and uh, will be in the mail at that time. Thank you for listening. I'm Bob Swick. Publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine. Take care. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. 
Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.